Hey, how we doing? Hey, I just want to say thank you, man, so much. Uh, we have put out, um, kind of doing the whole Easter thing and the egging, and I don't know how many Facebook and email and all that stuff uh, we did, but the clings that we've done the last two weeks, uh, best we can tell, we've gotten just about 30,000 clings um, out into the community, which is crazy. And only a few angry phone calls, so it's good. And, and uh, so that's great. And thank you guys for doing that. And next week or two, we're going to have you know a couple other assignments. At the end of the day, I think you guys get kind of the heart behind it. And there's there's two times a year that people who will not darken the doors of a church will come in and have this conversation about Jesus. And it's Easter and it's Christmas and. For you and I to leverage the opportunity to say, look, we just want you to be in our room and we want the privilege of having that conversation with you. So thank you for what you're doing to help us get that word out, to make that invitation. I encourage you at some point, maybe even to invite a friend just personally and say, look, it's going to be the right place to be on Easter and uh, be part of what's going to be a pretty cool service, but most of all, to hear a message. And then I'm going to ask you to pray for me. Um, my two hurt hardest messages all year long are Easter and Christmas, uh, because what you're really doing is you're taking you're taking the same story. I you know can't change the story, and chances are those people who come on Easter and those people who come on Christmas that's the story they've heard every time they've gone to church. I mean, so they they know that story, and up until now it hasn't changed their life. And so the opportunity to say, look, I I've got to tell that story as best I can, opening Scripture but asking God to do something different this year and to speak to their hearts and maybe just have an aha moment, just a, oh my goodness, that's what I didn't understand all the way till now. So I'm just going to invite you to pray for me and pray for those services that are going to happen and pray for people who have just never figured out a Savior, never figured out honestly and accurately what the story of Easter is, that this would be be the Easter, that that would be very real for them. So I'll tell you what, let's pray. We'll pray for that. And uh, then uh, we'll dig in uh, tonight in 1 Corinthians. We've been, we did a chapter last time. I mean, that is landmark. Uh, and uh, so we'll, we'll try again. We'll see what we can do tonight. Let's pray and we'll get started. Hey, dear Heavenly Father, we, uh, we just simply come before you. And thank you so much for what you're doing in our lives. Thank you for what you're doing here at Cornerstone. And God, just story after story after story of not only people finding Jesus, but people growing up in Jesus and their life changing and uh, maturity happening. And God, we just we thank you for that. We, we just say real loud and real clear, we know we can't produce that. We can only cooperate with you as you make that happen in someone's life. God, I just ask for tonight that uh, you would help us as we study the Word, that we would be true to the Word, we'd be faithful to what it says, we would not interject ourselves. God, help us... Help us to live what we learned tonight, to be changed by tonight. And then, God, I also pray for Easter. Would you, would you just bring literally thousands of people into this room who don't understand Easter yet? And could this be the year that your spirit just is so obvious to them that he, he reveals the story so powerfully to their hearts that we would just see scores of people go, Oh, my. Oh, my. I, I have missed this. All of my life, and I understand for the first time, and I need a Savior. So, God, we give you that moment. We give you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I saw 1 Corinthians 
chapter 9, because we blew through chapter 8 last week. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 1, and yes, I brought my own glasses uh, this week. It was absolutely embarrassing to wear my mom's glasses, but they worked last week. All right, so 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 1. Again, this is the Apostle Paul writing. Here's what he says. Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not the result of my work in the Lord? And even though I may not be an apostle to others, surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. Okay, so let's, let's do a little bit of backtracking, some stuff that we already probably should know together because we did this early. Uh, Paul calls himself an apostle. What do you have to, what do you have, to have, have happen in your life in order to qualify as an apostle? You had to live with Jesus. You had to what? Live with Jesus. Like he had to. You had to personally. Okay. So you had you had to have seen the ministry of Jesus. Okay. What else? What else qualified you as an apostle? We got halfway there. One more thing. I had to be called by Jesus. Okay. So help me out here. How how does Paul qualified to be an apostle. Okay, here we go. Arms are waving. He had an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Okay, so you remember the road to Damascus. Remember, uh, he's traveling down to kill Christians. Jesus interrupts that. Remember, he appears to Paul and says, Paul, Paul, why are you... Actually, it was Saul at the time, because he's not renamed yet. Why are you persecuting me? He says, who are you? He says, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting me. And then Jesus ends up calling him into ministry there on the road to Damascus. So think about this. The guy's being converted, and in the very moment he's being converted, he gets called into ministry. That's scary. And, uh, but that's what happens in the life of Paul. Does Paul see the ministry of Jesus? Isn't that interesting? Because we know he sees Jesus after the resurrection. Which stop and think about it. I mean, that's an amazing moment that Jesus regarded Paul so highly that he calls him after his resurrection, comes back to call him into ministry. Pretty remarkable moment. That's the reason Paul says, I am an apostle born out of season. All the rest of the apostles were called by Jesus while he was here in the earthly ministry. Jesus came back to call me into ministry as one born out of season. But does Paul see the ministry of Jesus? Isn't that interesting? I have a question. Okay. Didn't Paul, after after his Damascus road, didn't he go to Mount Sinai or somewhere in in that area for like three years? Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't go to Mount Sinai. What happens is God directs him to a disciple by the name of Ananias who then disciples Paul in the ways of the Lord. And it's actually seven years before he starts his ministry and meets up with Barnabas. Yeah, but it, it, I don't remember anything about Sinai in the thing. But he does, he does go seven years in study and training, getting ready. Okay, so does Paul see Jesus in his ministry? Well, he saw the hardest part to believe. Okay, he saw the he hardest part to believe. He saw the resurrected Jesus. Okay, and here's there's the other part of it, guys. We didn't quite say that out loud. Every one of the apostles saw what the resurrected Jesus. 
Okay, so they all could testify to the resurrection. Okay, here's why we believe that Paul saw the ministry of Jesus. In the book of Acts, when Paul is still a young man, he stands at an incredibly important moment and holds people's coats. Anybody remember what that was? Okay, so we got to work. Okay. Stoning of Stephen. The stoning of Stephen. And so what we believe based on that is, is that Paul sees the ministry of Jesus. Stephen is one of the very first disciples of Jesus who ends up stoned. He's the first martyr for the cause of Christ. Paul is a young man, which means he's probably 20 or under. He could possibly be in his teenage years. Stands there and holds the coats of the men who stone this early believer. In other words, when we talk about early believer, we're talking Jesus just left and now this guy is getting stoned. And so what we believe is, is Paul saw them. He's just a non-believer during the ministry of Jesus. And that's why he's assenting to the killing of Christians at the time. Okay. So here's why that's crucial. And here's why he spent a few moments on this. Those are the qualifications. Have I seen the ministry of Jesus? Can I testify to the resurrection of Jesus? Was I called in to G by Jesus in person? Here's why that's important. If those are the qualifications of being an apostle, how many apostles are walking the earth today? None. None. And this is important because you're going to run into, within Christianity, guys who say, I'm an apostle, or I have an apostolic gift. And what they're saying inadvertently is, I hear something from God that other people don't hear from God. And I have an authority from God that other people don't have from God. And the answer is, no, you don't. You do not hear from God things that other people don't hear from God, and you do not have an authority from God that other people don't have. Because there are no apostles today. Scripture is complete. Every one of us has the same set of rules, the same set of information, the same level of authority. And you do not have the right to speak on God's behalf unless it lines up word for word with what God has already given. Does that make sense? It's a big deal. And you don't, you don't want to let someone bamboozle you by going, I've got this apostolic authority. Okay, we're good? We're happy? All right. Okay, so here's what he says. He says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Okay, one of the qualifications of being an apostle. Uh, Are you not the result of my work in the Lord, even though I may not be an apostle to others? Surely I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. How How is the Corinthian church a seal of Paul's apostleship? Isn't that an interesting statement? You are the seal, he says, of my apostleship. If nobody else thinks I'm an apostle, if nobody else recognizes me, you guys, you guys ought to write. Matter of fact, you're, you're the evidence of my apostleship. What do you think he means by that? Could it be that uh, through his teachings they came to Christ? Okay, yeah. Paul is the first missionary to Corinth. Paul is the guy who went there and originally shared the gospel. The only reason there's a church in Corinth, as messed up as this church is and as many problems as the only reason they're even there is because Paul went to Corinth as a church planter, as a missionary, and started the Corinthian church. And so he simply says here, look, guys, guys, if nobody else recognizes me as an apostle, if nobody else thinks my ministry is valid, if, 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 if somebody else says, Paul's all full of hot air, if, 
you, you guys, of everybody, you guys are my testimony that I've got a legitimate ministry, that I'm following. I mean, you guys are in the kingdom because I came and shared this story with you. Why do you think he's having this conversation with them? Why is Paul having to go all the way back and say, look, guys, you and I are supposed to have a relationship here. You, you and I are supposed to be on different standing than just Joe Blow average church. You guys get that I'm an apostle. I mean, if I was ever an apostle, I'm an apostle to you. I led you to Jesus. I, I started you out as baby Christians and got you going the first couple of years. You guys, you guys are my children in Christ. Why do you think Paul is having to have that conversation? Uh, maybe because there are like naysayers in Corinth that are saying, you know, Paul, you, Paul doesn't have any standing here with you. Why are you mm. listening to Paul? Yeah. See, here's the thing. Paul's been teaching some hard stuff. Paul's been saying some things that, remember, we went through the whole thing about the guy who had his, his mother's wife. We, we, we've gone through holding disputes. And remember, they were all clicking up in the church and picking, I like Paul and I like Paul. And he's, he's been treating them. You ready for this? He's been treating them the way a father treats his children. And he's been having some hard conversations with this church. So what do you think they're saying? They're saying, Paul's all wet. He's come on. He's Paul. He, now, and all he is is a church planner. And, you know, he's that guy that comes for the first couple of years and gets things started and then leaves. Why are you listening to him? And rather than going back and saying, look, let's just be honest. What we're struggling with is the word of God. We're not struggling with Paul. And so instead they're deflecting it. And they're saying, no, 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 Paul's just, Paul, he's, he's just all wet. And you know what? And he's, he's always grumpy. Isn't he? Isn't Paul always grumpy? And, you know, they're coming with all the excuses in the world not to listen to what Paul is teaching. And Paul is having to go back and go, guys, 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 if there is anybody who I ought to be able to have a hard conversation with, it's you. Because you're my children in Jesus. I'm the one that led you to the, to the Lord. And, and you and I had better be able to talk about stuff like this in the church. Okay, it's a question. Yep. Is 1 Corinthians all one letter or is it many letters combined? 1 Corinthians is one letter. Okay, so, so he hasn't had any communication in between all these No, chapters. so this is, in other words, here's what's happened. Word has gotten back. So the question was, is 1 Corinthians one letter? Yeah, it's one letter. What's happened is Paul would go and he would start a church in a city. And then after he got him going for a couple of years, he takes off for the next city. And by then, hopefully he's raised up good, strong men and women in the church to continue leading the church from there. And But what's happened is now word has reached Paul as he's off doing the rest of his church planting uh, journey. And he's saying, people are saying, you cannot believe what's going on back at the Corinthian church. I mean, these guys have gone off their rocker and now he's having to write a letter of correction. And now they don't like it. They're like, dude, who are you? You've been gone for like a couple years. I mean, what, what's up? And we're not going to listen to this guy. And he's having to come back and say, guys, if there was anybody who would listen, it wouldn't it be me. Aren't I your father in Christ? Aren't I the guy who led you to Jesus in the first? Come on. If anybody has a right, if, ready? If anybody's an apostle to you, right? I mean, I mean, other people may not feel like I'm an apostle, but you guys, I led you to Jesus, okay? All right. So all that to say, and here's what you got to get. 
they are struggling. They are struggling. They are struggling to hear the things that he's saying. And rather than dealing with it honestly and objectively and saying, well, is that really what Scripture says? They're turning it on Paul. And they're saying, but, you know, he just could have said that nicer. He just could have been warmer. You know, they're not dealing with Scripture. They're turning it on the person. Okay? He hasn't been here in a couple of years. Why are we listening to him? Okay? All right. Verse 3. This is my defense of those who sit in judgment on me. Don't we have the right to food and to drink? Don't we have the rights to take a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas? Or is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Okay, so we don't know exactly what the Corinthian church was accusing them of. But based on that, based on what he just said in his own defense, what do you guess maybe some of the people were saying in the Corinthian church about Paul and the men who were with him? What do you think they're criticizing him on? Huh? That he was freeloading. Okay? That, he, that all he's doing, the only reason he's preaching the gospel, and the only reason he's coming around, and probably the only reason he's coming back is he wants an offering. He just needs money. He's running out of money and he's going to come back and he's going to take an offering. Okay? Possibly so. What else? What else do you see in there? Verse 4, verse 5, verse 6. What do you see? I don't know an answer, but I have a question. Okay. In <laughs> um, uh, 5 it says, don't we have the right to take Christian sisters' wives? Maybe that has to do with something, maybe taking wives out of one of the areas that he was at or taking girls as his wives or something. You know, I, yeah, I, I don't know that it's that. Um, here's what I think maybe is happening. Remember, one of the questions here is money. And remember, we talked a little bit, I won't go back into it this week, but remember we talked a little bit last week about, well, you want to get somebody upset, they always get upset about money. You guys can't even say the word. <laughs> um, and so if some of the men who are with Paul are now bringing their families. They're bringing their wives and they're bringing their children. And now they're taking offerings. Then what do you think the church is saying about that? Too many mouths to feed. So, you know, if those guys would travel lighter, they weren't dragging their families along with them. Matter of fact, the truth is if they didn't have families, if they just stay single and do ministry, we wouldn't have to pay as much. And my guess is, I don't know for sure, but my guess is it's a financial question. Because why else do I care if you've got a wife? I just don't want to pay for your wife. Right? So I've got a feeling that's probably what's, what they're coming after him on. That's my best guess on it. I don't think they, yeah. Anything else you see in the passage? Possibly dietary stuff. You probably have some Jews that are saying, hey, do you realize Paul's eating some pork? You know, it says, don't I have the right to eat and to, to drink and... So probably some dietary stuff. Because, guys, get again. Here's the thing. Here's the thing that we do. And this is why it's, it's, it's worth having a little... When you and I hear something that bothers us spiritually, one of the most natural things that we do is, rather than being honest in the moment and saying, is that God really speaking to me? Is you and I tend to get mad at the person who spoke for God. And we say, well, you know, he's just in it for the money. He just, man, he, 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 he just gets all puffed up about himself. And, and you know, I got, I, I'll, just, I'll just speak to my heart for a second. I, I try with every message as hard as I can to be sure for me that 
that if someone's going to be offended in the room, you're not offended over Lynn, you're offended over the words of Jesus. But I'm going to tell you that at the end of the day, Scripture is Scripture, Bible is Bible. And if and you know what, if, if the servant of God, and I'm not saying this because I've gotten criticized, I haven't gotten criticized. Um, I turned my email off so no, no one knows it. But uh, uh, at the end of the day, I think anytime you and I sit in a moment that bothers us, we gotta, you've got to have the integrity to say, is this real conviction in my life? Or maybe the, maybe the servant of God did get a little obnoxious that day and, you know, it, all right. But I think you've got to be careful not to throw away the person or persons who are delivering it if really at the end of the day it's just, the Bible's bugging me. Scripture is poking me. And the truth is I know darn deep I'm not living in obedience yet to this. Interesting thing in here, okay, and we're just gonna, I'm just going to toss it out there. I'm just going to say it. You can do with it uh, what you want. Uh, there's an interesting uh, phrase here. It says, verse 5, don't we have the right to take a believing wife? I think one version said a believing sister. Along with us, uh, as do uh, the other apostles and the Lord's brothers and Cephas. Anybody know why that's an interesting comment? Okay, so hands are up. I think because uh, there are some religions who believe that Jesus didn't have any brothers, that, you know, he was the only child of Mary, and here he is taking on a whole tradition in certain churches. Yeah, this actually, this is Paul talking about this, so this wouldn't have been, but Jesus did have brothers. We know that James, who writes the book of James, is the physical brother of Jesus. He's the half-brother of Jesus because he would have been born to Joseph on the deal. This is talking about brothers in the Lord. In this particular passage, this isn't physical brothers. This is brothers and sisters in the Lord. But why is it interesting? All right, so let me give you, let me give you, I'll give you a clue. We'll get you halfway there. Uh, Don't we have the right, verse 5, to take on a believing wife along with us, as do the other apostles and the Lord's brothers? Okay, well, that, you're right. You did say that about the brothers. Okay. And Cephas. Who is Cephas? Peter. Now, why would it be interesting that Peter had a wife? But, but we know he had a wife because of the healing of his mother-in-law, right? Yeah. But why is that interesting? Is that interesting because before he was called, he had a wife? Does he have a new wife? No. Not that I know of. Is his wife Jewish? His wife is probably Jewish. Because Peter was probably the closest to Christ? Um, no. Hmm. Because there are churches that teach that Peter was the first pope. And the very same churches would teach that you cannot be married and be clergy. So it's just interesting. All right, let's keep going. All right. Just, just, that was free. That was free. All right. Verse 7. Before we get in trouble. Uh, no, verse 6. It, or, or Paul says, is it, is it only I and Barnabas who must work for a living? Okay? So one of the complaints is, hey, the only reason you're in this is uh, for the money. Now, verse 7. And here's his response, and he's going to go off a little bit on this whole idea of getting paid to do ministry. Who serves as a soldier at his own expense? In other words, you know, you get drafted in the army and then you pay to be in the army? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat its grapes? Who tends a flock and does not drink the milk? 
Do I say this merely from a human point of view? Doesn't the law, doesn't scripture say the same thing? For it is written in the law of Moses, do not muzzle the ox while it is treading out the grain. It is about, is it about oxen that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Yes, this was written for us because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in hope of sharing in the harvest. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much to reap a material harvest from you? What's Paul saying? Huh? What's rightfully his? I was just going to say that maybe he's asking, why aren't you ministering? Why aren't you doing what I am? Because he was talking earlier in Corinthians about how, look at my life, emulate it. Okay. I think he's, I think he's doing, I think he's going a step further than that. Well, we are talking about money earlier. Right. So he might be talking about getting, be able to get funds to be able to go around and to do ministry and stuff because they're complaining that we were talking about earlier, complaining yeah. about giving him money. So maybe that's what he's complaining about. Like, I'm doing the work. Why can't I get paid for it? Okay. You know? And that is exactly what he's talking about. He's just simply saying, hey, wait a minute. I'm doing ministry. You guys, you guys are complaining because I'm getting paid to do ministry. You, you, you think the only reason I'm coming back is because I want an offering. And, and at the end of the day, he says, he's basically saying, look, if I, if I was coming back to get an offering, would there be anything wrong with that? I mean, if I labored with you, if I was a soldier and went to battle on your behalf, wouldn't I get a soldier's wage? If I was a vineyard keeper and I tended the vineyard, would I get a vineyard keeper's pay? And I mean, if I was out harvesting in the field, wouldn't I get a share of the crop? How can, how can that even be a question, he says? And then look at this, the, the last phrase that he uses there. He says, if we have sown to you spiritual seed among you, is it really too much for us to ask for a material, a financial return? If, if our ministry to you was something that was much more valuable than a dollar, we, we were talking about how to find heaven and how to have a relationship with Jesus and how to change your marriage and how to help your kids. And we were talking about stuff that was, you couldn't have paid enough. And now you're all stuck on money? Isn't it interesting that the very first early church struggled with the very same issues that you and I struggle with. Okay. Okay. So um, let's keep going. If others have this right, verse 12, if others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? He's saying, look, you, you support other ministries, you support other things, but we're the ones that did the ministry with you. Okay, so I'm just going to say this out loud. You can get mad. You can get mad. You can... I already told you I turned my email off so you can do it. Okay. All right, it's there, so I'm going to say it. What, what, what do you think a parallel of this is? Okay, here, let me read it again. You tell me what the parallel is. If others have the right of support from you. So what's the Corinthian church doing with some of their money? They're doing what? Well, someone's getting the support. It's others. Who do you think the others are? Illegal aliens. No. Politicians. 
Are they paying taxes? All right. Um, Politicians. Politicians. Maybe. People who are holding, like, places for a church and stuff. They're, they're the ones that are keeping the money instead of giving to people who are actually preaching. Like, the okay. people who, if they... If it was somebody else's house and you were preaching there, they were keeping the money and you weren't getting anything from it for preaching. Okay, so say it real loud again because I don't think everybody's hearing. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so if we, if they were holding it at somebody else's house, let's say here we're holding it, this building is owned by somebody else and you're preaching here, but you're not getting any of the funds and you're doing all the work. So the building, whoever owns it, is getting the money and you're not getting anything from it. So in this situation, whoever's holding the place like the churches are getting the money, but you're coming preaching to them. You're not getting any of the funds, but they are because it's their building. Maybe. Okay. I, I think I followed that. Lynn, could it yeah. be other preachers like Apollos? Yeah, I think, I think it's potentially itinerant preachers. Got to remember in the day, a lot of guys would have been traveling around. They would have showed up. They would have showed up for a Sunday or two. They would have done their ministry. Then they would have moved on. Lots of itinerant preachers. And in the midst of doing that, those preachers were taking offerings. Plus, and Lynn, I think the, the pastors that were ministering to them on a daily basis, right, all left somebody in charge. And obviously, they would need to be paid to continue running the church. Yeah. So he's saying if you're paying them, um, you know, I, the whole reason you have a church is because of us. So it's, it's kind of why Cornerstone would give to other ministries, why we plant churches in other places, right? Right. Okay. Here's, I'll just toss it out, leave it there for you guys. You guys can ponder it and think about it. Here's, here's what I think, here's what I think he's, I think he's more worried about the itinerant preachers. I think he's more worried about the guys who come in, do their little song and dance and go. And I, maybe I shouldn't, guys who come, spend a little bit of time and leave. And I think here's what Paul's argument is. He's saying, guys, you don't mind giving to the special causes and, and you don't mind giving to the parachurch and all the other, and he's, it's okay, it's okay. But you're not given at home. You're not given to the people who are truly ministering to you and to your cause. You, you want to give to all the special stuff because it's sexier or it's, you know, whatever. But you're not giving to the people who are ministering to you. And you're not taking care of them. All right, let's keep going. Verse 13. Okay, verse 12. If others have this right of support from you, shouldn't we have it all the more? But if we did not use this right, on the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. What does he say he just did? We had the right to what? To what? To be paid. And then he says, but we didn't use the right. What does he just say he didn't do? He didn't ask. He didn't take payment. So think about what he's just said to them. I deserved payment. You should have been giving me. Matter of fact, you were wrong not to give me payment. But I didn't give you payment. I didn't take any payment. And then he explains why he didn't take payment. But we did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Why didn't Paul take payment? I keep answering a lot. Okay. Um, 
probably because he didn't want it to hinder his word. He didn't want them to think that because I'm asking, I'm going to ask for money up front and then give you the gospel. I don't want that to be in your mind first to think that I'm not giving a good word, maybe. Hmm. Remember I told you, and again, guys, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just, we're just having a conversation tonight. I'm not, matter of fact, Last Sunday's offering was a great offering, so, so I'm, not, I'm not begging for a new offering, okay? I'm just promise you. We're just, we're having a conversation about this. And, and guys, one of the reasons you and I have to talk about this topic, I think I said it last week, you can never be a mature follower of Christ and God not have your wallet. Because your wallet is too tied to your heart. And if God doesn't have your wallet, he does not have your heart. He just doesn't. I don't, I don't, there is no, if he does not have your wallet, he does not have your heart. And so at the end of the day, why do I as a preacher have this discussion? Why do I know that someone will leave today and they'll be mad at me? Why, why do I do that? Because at the end of the day, it's not because the offering gets bigger. At the end of the day, I know you cannot be a fully devoted follower of Christ and not have this part of your life in subjection because you care too much about your wallet. And you will never be a fully committed, fully devoted follower of Christ and withhold your finances from Him. It's impossible. It's impossible. And that's why you take the flack. That's why you have the discussion and let everybody get mad. Because you can't grow up and follow Jesus if you don't get this part right. In the midst of this, Paul is saying, look, I didn't take a penny from you guys. I I didn't do it, and it's exactly what we said, because here's what you would have said. If I would have been taking offerings during that time, you are so caught up in money, you are so stuck on finances, you would have been sitting around whining, whining about the money and, and not listening to the story, not listening to the gospel. And there was no way in the world I was going to let anybody say, I was there for a dollar. I, and here's, here's what we know about Paul. How, does anyone know how Paul supported himself? He was a tent maker. He's a tent maker. So what he does is, is he, as he's there in Corinth, he ministers all day long. He ministers all day, whatever it is. And in any spare moment he has, so that he doesn't take an offering, and so that none of these people sit there and go, look, the only reason Paul's doing this is because of the incredibly huge paycheck of ministry. That's the only reason he's doing it. He sows tents. He sows tents so that by no way the gospel of Jesus ends up hindered with them. But let me ask you the question. Should he have had to do that? Why did he have to do it? Why did he have to do it? Why did he choose to do it? That's maybe a better way of saying it. Because he'd rather work but still preach Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected than to not be able to preach, you know, and have a, right. have a way to live. Absolutely. And I agree, you know, I think the truth is, guys, the majority of people who are in ministry, and, and I want to say this real clear, one reason we're having this guy, you need to know that's the heart of your staff. We don't pay a single staff person at this church enough money. Matter of fact, I'll just say this real quietly. You realize that we're probably the poorest paying church of 5,000 in America. We know that because we get all the stats. So the people who serve and minister in this church do not minister for money. They just don't. They minister because the truth is they would do what they do for free. And they feel incredibly privileged to get paid to do it. It's an incredible privilege. 
the other part of it is I've got to be really honest as their senior pastor and the guy that leads them to look at them sometimes when we hand them their paycheck and say, that's all it is. That's, that's tough. That's tough sometimes. Yeah. Another thing could be because they were a new church and they could not understand a lot of what Paul was talking about, he had to handle them like small children. So he didn't want to really labor them with a lot of stuff. So he preferred to be mature above everything because he was still rearing them as a father would rear a son or a daughter. I think think very likely, and because we just talked about this, it's a maturity issue. As baby, baby believers, they, they couldn't grasp this. They couldn't understand this idea of pain. And I think you're probably right about that. What is it, what is this, maybe a better way of saying this is, what is the symptom that causes Paul to feel like it's necessary not to take the money? What is it, what it is about the character of the Corinthian church that he says this is an issue? So let me give you an example. If the struggle of the Corinthian church was lust, then Paul probably would have been very careful about what type of jokes he told, or maybe, you know, if he went to the barn dance or not, you know, whatever. But, you know, what was it about the character of the Corinthian church that made Paul feel it necessary not to take a salary for fear that they would think he was in it for the money? What does it say about them well, I don't know if what I'm going to say is going to answer that in particular, but I okay. was going to say that um, for him, the blessing to be able to minister was enough. He didn't want, he, he knew that he already had heaven. So he didn't want to receive, I, just throwing this out there, maybe he would have almost felt guilty for taking money since he's already, he feels that he has, he has everything. He doesn't. Mm-hmm. I, here's, here's why I'm not sure I agree with you, okay? And so we, we, we just... Every hour that he spends sewing a tent, he could have been holding a gospel meeting. And I, I, and I think at the end of the day, he goes, every hour I spend sewing a tent is an hour I could have been doing something much more profound in the kingdom, but I'm sewing the tent so that I won't cause those guys to stumble. You know, I'm just going to be honest. Every time a church says to a pastor, hey, take a second job. Okay. But, but every hour he works at Home Depot is an hour he doesn't get to make hospital calls. It's an hour he doesn't get to study. It's an, you know, it just is. It just is. So, Lynn, yeah. I think that um, definitely there are baby Christians and he didn't want to deter them from the message. Mm-hmm. So it's let's not make this a money issue, but... In, especially in Corinth, because that was that was one of the most powerful seaports in the area. So it was like Wall Street there. Money yeah. was very, very important. So he knew it was was uh, close to their heart. Yeah. Here's what I'm going to toss, guys. I think, I think, I think. Okay, and again, I think it's greed. I think at the end of the day, he knows that their love for money is so profound. That if he tackles this issue now, they may miss the gospel over the love of their money. They may never follow in discipleship because of the love of their money. And so he says, look, I'll, I, I'll, just, I'll do this for free so that no one could get all hung up on the money right now. That's what I'll do. I think at the end of the day, it's a greed issue in the Corinthian church. Okay, so let's keep going.
Uh, but did we not? Okay, so we're back in verse 12. But did we not? We did not use this right. On the contrary, we put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Don't you know that those who work in the temple get their food from the temple, and those who serve at the altar share what is offered at the altar? And in the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. But I have not used any of these rites, and I am not writing this in, in the hope that you would do such things for me. And matter of fact, and this is how frustrated he is, he says, I would rather die than have anyone deprive me of the boast. Yet when I preach the gospel, I cannot boast, for I am compelled to preach. Woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. If I preach voluntarily, then I have a reward. And if not voluntarily, then I have simply discharging the trust committed to me. Okay, what, what does that last paragraph mean? If I preach the word of God voluntarily, I have a reward. If I preach the God under compulsion, then I've simply done what I was supposed to do. What do you think he means by that? He's going above and beyond the call of duty. He, instead of taking money and stuff, he looked at it in a mature way and said, I'm going to do it this way so that way it can be all for God and only God and nothing else is going to be in the way of that. Okay. He's going to be able to, instead of die, he's like, I'd rather die than, you know, take money from you so that way I know that it's only going to be focused on God and nothing else. So. Yeah. The work that he was doing, he was doing as led by the Spirit. He was doing what God told him to do. He didn't want that to be of, of personal earthly gain. He wanted that to be of heavenly gain. So he yeah. wanted his reward in heaven versus having a reward on earth. Yeah. I think he, and I think you're exactly right. I think he's ultimately saying, guys, look, I, I'm talking to you about money, but you just need to know deep down in my heart, it's not about money. And the only reason we're having this discussion is because I want to be able to do the ministry better. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to do ministry. I'm going to do ministry because I love Jesus Christ. I'm going to do ministry because... I, I have to do this. I have to tell this story. I've got to do it. And I will do anything to be able to tell this story. Which I think Paul would argue and say ought to be the attitude of every Christian. Whether you're in vocational ministry or not in vocational ministry. That every Christian would say, I have to tell this story of Jesus. I have to let this bleed out of my life. And it's... It's not because I'm getting paid for it, because most of us aren't. I just have to. Verse 18. What then is my reward? Just this, that in preaching the gospel, I may offer it free of charge, and so not make use of my rights in preaching it. Verse 19. Though I am free and belong to no man, I make myself a slave to everyone. Now get ready, because he's going to completely shift and now he's going to begin to talk about this incredible thing of telling the story of Jesus. Though I am free and belong to no man, verse 19, I make myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. To the Jews, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. And to those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. So as to win those under the law. And to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but under Christ's law, so as to win those not having the law. To the weak, I became weak to win the weak. 
I have become all things to all men, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share in its blessings. What's he saying? What's he saying he's doing? Huh? Hmm. Okay, I, I, I think you're right. I don't know if I want to use the word acting. Um, but yes, he surely, he surely is changing things. Okay, we got one hand then. Yeah, we're, okay. All right. To the, sorry. We're good. Okay. Someone go first. Isn't he uh, meeting people where they're at? Like yeah. Jesus meets us where we're at. Yeah. So when he says, to the Jew I became a Jew, what's he saying he's doing? To the Jew I became a Jew. He, he followed, adhered strictly to the um, Jewish law. Yeah. So if I'm sitting in a Jewish house, I'm washing my hands before the meal because that's what you do in a Jewish household. If I'm sitting there, I don't talk about how great it was to eat bacon last night. You know, I, I don't do that in a Jewish household. And here's what he's saying to you. Not because it was wrong, because he goes right on to say, look, I'm not under the law. I, I don't have to live like a Jew. So why would I choose to live like a Jew in front of a Jew? And we said acting, and I, I don't think it's acting. Why would he choose to live like a Jew in front of a Jew? He, he wants to respect and honor where they are. And like he said, for those who do not have the law, the Greeks, the Corinthians, he will behave as though he is not under any any law other than the universal law of, of God that he speaks about in, like, Romans. Right. Okay. When he gets around Gentiles, he acts like a Gentile. Why does he act like a Gentile? What would the Gentiles have thought if he'd kept acting like a Jew when he was in a Gentile house? Huh? Basically, I just wanted to kind of back up a little bit. He was okay. actually all those things. He was a Jew. Right. Um, and then he's been called to preach to the Gentiles, but that doesn't mean he still doesn't preach to Jews. Um, so he's still, like she was saying, she, he wants to respect who they are and that way it doesn't throw up some kind of a stumbling stone for them to see the faith or see you know, see Christ. Right. What would it, So let's go back, and I, you're dead on. What, what would have happened if you'd gone to a Gentile house and said, look, I, I'm not eating your stinking pork? What would that have done in a Gentile house? It, it would have absolutely offended. insulted them. They would have thought, you're just as stuck up as all the other Jews that we've met. You, you think you're better than all of us. And now you're coming to us to tell us about this Jesus. Thanks for nothing. No thanks. On the deal. Okay? He was doing, uh, he was treating them the way that they would want to be treated, to have a relationship with them and, and build a rapport. Absolutely. I think you're dead right. When we went to India just a little while back, uh, the minute we got off the airplane, our women put on Indian dress. Now, I'm just going to tell you, that felt weird to me. You know, my wife's sitting there with this Indian. And here's the thing about India dress is there's parts of it that I, that in some ways to me are like less modest than American dress because they, they do this thing across the top and it's, it's fairly form-fitting. And then they show their belly. 
You got 90-year-old women showing their belly. That's just... You know, but, but then the dress goes all the way down to their ankles. You know, so it's, it's, just, it's just different. I, I'm just going to tell you, I guarantee you, those gals who went on the trip and had to buy, they're called saris, um, and buy, they haven't worn them since. I guarantee you, but here they were all the time we were there wearing, our women were wearing uh, these saris. Why were we doing that? Just to gain their confidence. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if they were going to struggle with the gospel... We didn't want them to struggle because of how our women were dressed or how our men behaved. Or if you're going to miss the gospel, miss it because you don't like the story of Jesus. Don't miss it because our women wear T-shirts. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. Look, I, I will do I will do whatever I have to do in order to make sure the gospel message is what people hear. So stop and think about the discussion he just had about money. Why did he say, I didn't take money from you? Because if I had taken money from you, you would have been thinking about the money more than you have been thinking about this gospel. He's really applying the same lesson again. He's saying, look, I do this all over my life. I do this in every aspect of my life. I will do whatever I have to do to make sure the story of Jesus in this gospel is clear. And I'm not going to let people get offended because I'm wearing a t-shirt that says something weird on it. I'm not going to let people get offended because I I say things or go to movies. or I'm going to do whatever I have to do to make sure the gospel stays clear. So when I'm with a Jew, I behave like a Jew. And when I'm with a Gentile, I behave like a Gentile. Now let me ask you this question though. What if the Gentiles I'm hanging out with are pagans. And part of hanging out, I mean, part of them being there, they're doing stuff that probably Jesus wouldn't do. Now what do I do with this principle that Paul is talking about? You know, when I'm with a Jew, I act like a Jew, but when I'm with a Gentile, I act like a Gentile. I mean, Gentiles can get pretty rowdy. You guys know that because we all are mostly in this room. What do you think Paul's doing in that moment when Gentiles are behaving like Gentiles? Isn't that a good um, question? What this makes me think of is the fisher of men. And so he is, if you're fishing for catfish, you're going to use a certain equipment and pole and uh, bait. If you're going out for uh, fly fishing, you're going to switch it up. And your target is what you're uh, using, your tools and shifting Absolutely. to catch. Absolutely. Absolutely. How about a slightly different flavor of that? Uh, how did he keep the Gentiles from finding out what customs he observed when he was with Jews and vice versa? Wouldn't that make him look sort of two-faced to, to people? You know, maybe. And I think, I think that's a legitimate question to say, hey, wait a minute, you were over there with those guys and you weren't eating pork. I think the Jews probably had the worst problem with it. Hey, wait a minute, you hung out with the Gentiles and you didn't observe any of your customs anymore. You weren't you know, doing that. And I think the Jews would have probably had the most hard time with what Paul is teaching here in the idea of him being toothpaste. So say it again. No, you know, I think, I think it, here's what I probably think Paul would have done in that moment when he was being questioned by a Jew. I think he would have come back to exactly what he just said here. He goes, look, I'm not under the law. I'm not. And the only reason I behaved that way when I was with you was not to hurt your heart. It was, it was all about you and respecting you and honoring you. It's the same thing I would have said to the Indians if they had said, your women don't wear these dresses when they go back to America. And I would have said, no, 
You're right, they don't. We did this while we were here to respect you and to not cause you any harm. But you're right, our women don't wear saris back home. And I think Paul would have probably had a similar conversation. The Jews wouldn't have liked it because they would have preferred that he would have kept all the Jewish custom. But I think the explanation would have been similar to that in that moment. So let's go back, though. What does he do whenever... Because here's the deal, guys. You and I have been in this moment. What do you do when you're hanging out with your friends who don't know Jesus? Paul just said, look, when I'm hanging out with my pagan friends, I, you know, I'm hanging out with my pagan friends. And what do you do, though, when all of a sudden they're doing things that cross the line? What do you do when they're telling jokes that Christians probably shouldn't be part of that joke? And, you know, it's awkward when you don't laugh. What do you do when they all say, hey, come on, we're going to go down to the movie? And you're going, Dude, that's, you know, that, that movie's probably not in the realm of where I ought to go. But if I go, I'm not going with you, then that's, you know, that's going to be awkward. What do you do in that moment? Um, I think, Lynn, in all what you've said is that, um, first of all, when you respect, you're showing a love because that you're showing someone you care by taking in consideration either their beliefs or, you know, custom, whatever it is, but you're showing them a love. But in in what you're saying, um, if you're, you can be around people, but you have to know also where where you stand and you need to put draw your line just like they cross their line well you need to stand on your line Mm. and they need to know that you know what you can love them and respect them but there is a a point where you do not cross Mm. and i think when you stand your ground and let them know that you can be between in between them and love them and do but there are those boundaries so I think this is an important question, guys, because if you haven't run into them yet, you'll run into Christians that say, no, 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 no. I, when I'm around people who don't know Jesus, I just act like people who don't love Jesus because then they'll think I'm cool. And, and they'll think Jesus is cool if I do those things. And yet the reality is those things are not biblical. They're in violation of what would be scripturally appropriate. But they're doing it. You ready? They're doing it in the name of winning a lost person to Christ. Paul just said, I, when I'm with a heathen, I do what heathens do. When I'm with a Jew, I do what Jews do. Are they right? Is that what you do to win people to Christ? I know what I would do. I mean, I would, if, it's, if they're crossing the line, I would say, no, I can't go there, but I'm doing this. You're welcome to join me if you would like. What would you say to a Christian brother? Let's, let's say, let's say you're, you're sitting down and we're out in the lobby and it's after church and, and you, you tell your story. Hey, I was hanging out with some of my friends who didn't know Jesus. It was after work. And uh, in the process of doing that, boy, the conversation got really, really raunchy. And, you know, they, were, they started, you know, kind of doing some stuff that probably a Christian shouldn't do. And I got up and left the table. And he says, you shouldn't have done that. They're just going to think you're a stuck-up Christian. They're just going to think that you don't, you know, you're... And you should have just done it so you could be cool and they would have thought Jesus was cool. That's the risk you have to take. Huh? That's the risk you have to take. That's the risk you have to take. <laughs> how, would you have defended your, how would you have defended leaving the group biblically? Biblically, how would you have said no? I, Paul did not ask me to do all the things a pagan does in order to win a pagan. How would you have defended that? Hey, Lynn. You want me to go? 
All right, go ahead. Take a shot. I think we need to be set apart. Okay, you know, I, I agree. Mean, Christians, we can, in those situations, we can always be like the world, but the world can't always choose to be a Christian. Okay. That is like the sad segment. So you can live in this world, but not of this world, and they should respect you. They should know the difference between what you believe in and what they believe in. Like, mm -hmm. if you don't want to go see a dirty movie or... How many dirty jokes did Jesus say to, to win the Pharisees? No, none. You know, they should respect you, you know what I mean? Yeah. They know your lifestyle or whatever. And even if they don't respect. And I mean, they're not then your true friend. Even if, if they, they hang you on a cross. If they don't care about you, then... Yeah. Here's what, here, okay, so one last one back there. What are we doing Excuse on time? Excuse me, I, I do have a question for you. Okay. I know when, when you said about the Gentiles and the Church of Corinth had a lot of homosexuality in it and bad stuff, and I do have a friend who is gay, and I want to win him for Christ, and the only concerts he goes to are affiliated with that, and I want him to know Jesus. And uh, the only picture he has about Christians is that Christians hate him. And if I say no... He's going to think the same. I'm just like the other Christians. What do you do in such a situation? Because you want to win him for Christ, and all he's ever received is rejection, and all the parties he goes to are affiliated with his culture. What do you do in such a situation? And, Lynn, and I know Paul was in such a situation in Corinth. Okay. To, to, to answer question. your question, Lynn, it's uh, one minute after eight. Okay. So, all right. All right. So... We'll answer the question next time. <laughs> okay. You'll come back. <laughs> it's a great question. I love... Isn't that, isn't that a great question? I, I've, I've been invited to a concert. I know that the concert is a concert that's going to be highly influenced by a lifestyle that's not biblical, but I'm trying to win this guy and he will take it as an insult. What do I do? It's a great question. So we'll answer it next time. All right, let's pray. And uh, we'll be done tonight. Hey, dear Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it takes us and, and allows us to ask hard questions and to get right to the midst of a struggle. And then help us uh, understand how to live that well. So God, we're just going to ask again that you would take your word, the things that we've wrestled with tonight, you'd, you'd use them in our lives. God, bring us back next week hungry uh, to hear more. And this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, thank you guys.